Thank you for listening to the following films podcast. Today I'm joined by actor, director, and writer Will Klipstein. I had him on the show today to talk about his latest film, The Harbinger. When a family moves their troubled daughter to a small town and their neighbors start mysteriously dying, they fear something evil has followed them. The Harbinger is currently playing in limited theaters and available on demand. If you'd like to support the following films podcast, go to anchor.fm slash following films slash subscribe. Want to thank Bookman's for sponsoring the show today and Fort Worth for letting me use the song at the end. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks. Thank you for taking the time to do this today, Will. I really appreciate it. How are you? Today? Absolutely. Oh, I'm great, man. Great. Yeah. This was, um, I was watching the movie again this afternoon, going through it, and it struck me that I think we probably watched a lot of the same movies growing up. Um, a child of VHS 80s kind of stuff. <clears throat> and this feels like a, not like a direct homage where it's a spoof of those things, but it feels heavily influenced by a lot of, the, like I could see Phantasm, I could see The Exorcist, I could see Monster Squad, all these different things coming together in this movie that I really love. And I was wondering, um, is that the case? Were, were there these kind of throwback horror films or you know, films that you were thinking of? This isn't the first time I've been asked this question. And, you know, I think if you set out to intentionally make a movie to be like another movie, you're probably destined to fail. Um, I think it's probably subconscious with a lot of those influences. Um, you know, I see, I see movies like, um, <clears throat> like if you think of a movie like the conjuring by James Wan, and you think of the brilliance of William Friedkin with the exorcist and, and, and Richard Donner with the omen, you're yeah. not going to be able to duplicate those guys. Um, and so I, I didn't want to make like a, a, you know, a possession movie. I, um, I wanted to make something that like hasn't been done before. It's unique. It's original. And, you know, Alfred Hitchcock had this famous saying, and, and the, the best way to sum up this movie, I, I think would be like paranormal Hitchcock mm. because it's, it's like Alfred Hitchcock had this saying, the difference between mystery and suspense is mystery is when the audience doesn't, you know, they know less than the character. And then suspense is the opposite, you know, where the audience is in on it. And so I wanted to make a movie that started as a mystery. And it kind of just, we slowly feed the audience throughout the movie. And then we get to the third act and it morphs into the suspense thriller aspect of that. Um, but then when you're done, I, I wanted to have a story that could stand on its own two feet because I feel like the possession movie has just been redone and redone and redone. And you're never going to like duplicate James Wan and William Freak and all those guys, those geniuses. So I was like, once I had a story that could stand on its own two feet, I then laid a thin layer of horror on top of that. Um, but the, that's meant to just be the icing on the cake. But then when you bring up all these other movies and, and there was another reviewer that had pulled up a lot of those old movies, I think that's by default. I think they go, Oh, okay. This, he was influenced by all these movies and all these movies. That's probably all true, but it wasn't on a conscious level because I just wanted to make a movie that I think I would like to go to the movies and see in a theater or uh, in a theater, or I guess on demand it's, it's at theaters and on demand. So yeah. yeah, I would, I was thinking of it more like that. Like 
mystery suspense thriller type of horror as opposed to just straight up possession, true, pure horror. I wanted like that solid story that's intriguing underneath it. And then you can just lay the the filter on top, the horror filter on top of that. I, I guess that's a, a short way of answering your question. <laughs> well, I, I think you were absolutely successful in that sense, because the first oh, thing that I noticed in this movie, and another way that I felt like we were probably kindred spirits in the sense was um, I moved around a lot as a kid and you start in the middle of this transition. It's something that's already done. And I went through that, not, not that exact moment, obviously, yeah. but the way this movie starts with moving, this is something they've clearly done multiple times and going into this new situation, starting over. And I, that the parallel to that, that I felt this connection to, and it felt like this is when I think about where this movie starts, it's such so small and intimate. And I really felt like this could end up being a pandemic film where this is just going to be two characters in a room. And really, when you boil it down, it kind of is that because it's essentially just this family drama in its heart. But where it ends up going in the third act, I never saw that coming. Like how far off, like not off the rails, because it's by design. You're clearly this is where you wanted it to land. I didn't see it coming. So I think you're very successful in making this movie by design. It was just all these things that you picked up along the way that were yeah. just kind of fun to see. It's like, you know, the Tim Curry makeup and legend or whatever that is, you know, you see these yeah. things here, you go, okay, I feel that, but this is something of its own. It's kind of, you're, you're, I think of it in terms of music. So if I hear something that sounds, I know a chord progression, even though it's not the exact same rhythm that's being played, I know that chord progression, it's reminds me of this other thing. So th that's kind of what I was saying with that. Yeah. I was thinking like, I would, I think it would be really cool to see a movie and I, I'm going to say this. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler here because these aren't the twists. Uh, you know, I guess you can edit this one part out if you think it's too much of a spoiler, but I was like, how awesome would that be to see a movie that starts off in this boring neighborhood? It's just boring. And you end up in a crypt in a face off with the devil. How do you get from point A to point B? and have it not be boring. And what twists can I throw in there to, to, to uh, increase the intrigue and you know, how compelling it is. And just, it's like that roller coaster that starts off where you're, you're actually not on a roller coaster. You're just kind of coasting to get to that part that goes up, the ascent on the roller coaster, right? And then somewhere around, I don't know, 40 minutes before the end of the movie, the thing drops and it just keeps on going until you're at the end of the movie. And I thought, well, that's that's the structure and the arc of a movie that, to me, excites me. Um, well, not every movie can be that because you've got to you got to tailor each movie to what what it is you're doing. But I definitely didn't want to have a, a situation where I was like, I'm going to make a James Wan movie or I'm going to make a. Right. I didn't want to. Those guys were impossible to live up to. And I just wanted to come up with something uh, that was its own voice. It's its own thing. It, it's not trying to be anything else. It's, it's my adventure, you know? To me, um, the best horror films, the best suspense films, thrillers, whatever you want to go, any genre type film, um, the genre is secondary. Um, the, yeah. the, the real thing that you're connecting to is the people that are on this story that are going along with this. And if you're invested well, in these but, people and you get, if you give a shit about these people, if you care about yeah. them, then, then these things that might feel like other things as they're going along, they don't matter. It's just, it's window dressing at that point. It's that you could take that out and a, a movie about a dad that's having a difficult time connecting with his daughter 
that's worried about her, that kind of thing. You could have told the story in a million different ways. Cause I think when you yeah. really boil it down to the essence of this film, it is about that. It's about a father that's struggling to protect his daughter. Protect I love it. I love it that you got that. That's absolutely true. It's how far would a parent go for a child? They would literally face the Yeah. And so the rest of it doesn't matter. And then that's why we give a shit. And that's why we'll go along with it um, yeah. in this movie and the twists that do happen here. I, I don't think that's a spoiler where you were going with it. Um, the twist <laughs> that is the- I gave away the whole movie. No, yeah, no. <laughs> no, no, no. I think you're, you're good with that because it's, again, I think you could have this movie, it does have some sleight of hand, but that's not what this movie's about. There is a, a character who you realize what was happening in the beginning of it at the very end. You kind of see the actual point of view. I get that, but it doesn't doesn't matter. Like I don't think that's what the movie's yeah. about to me. Like right. there's movies yeah. that have those twists, they kind of fall apart on the third viewing because you can watch it the first time and see how the 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 enjoy it for the ride. Then the second time, how did the magic trick work? Third time, there's nothing there. Yeah, my so I've always been attracted to movies with a shitload of heart. I'm yeah. all about heart. That's all I am. I'm a hundred percent heart, and then the rest of the stuff I have to figure it out. My wife watches a lot of these Poirot mysteries, right? And a lot of it is about solve the mystery, the end. Poirot is a great character, but it's, but it's you know, I, I noticed that those, those types of stories for me is about the thing, not the person. Yeah. I like character-driven stories with a lot of heart a lot of intensity or just passion, feeling, whatever. And then you can, you can lay as much story or, or as, as much uh, plot and, you know, relics or whatever it is you want to throw in there. But if you don't have the heart and you don't, you don't lay down the emotional groundwork, then all the other stuff is window dressing and you don't care if, you know, if something's at stake. For sure. You have, have stake. The emotional stake has to be ramped to 11 but yeah i really do believe that so those kinds of stakes though they can be really small and intimate and it doesn't have to be the end of the world it can be is is the daughter going to fail a test that could be the stakes of an entire movie that i could be completely invested in so but that test but that test is equivalent to to somebody else if the world is ending yes that's 11 but to the daughter who's who's got the test in her mind that's the same as world war three could happen if you push a button yes it's the same stake yep you know so i get what you're saying though yeah absolutely and to put um to put the kind of uh faith that you have to have in a young actor (laughs) and at the center of this that's that's a that's a risky proposition especially on a smaller budget film um, because you time is of the essence, making sure that you have a an actor that's going to be able to show up and perform in those moments. That's that's got to be hard. Matt, um, Maddie Maddie made it effortless. She like, did she did great, but that's you got lucky, man. You got really I got lucky. lucky. You know that you, you've heard people say um, in in when you talk to other uh, people like directors and producers that someone like Dakota Fanning, when she was five years old, she basically behaved and acted like an adult and maddie was the same like you've got this a a minor a child on your set but after the first day you don't think of her as a a minor she behaved you know she was as mature as any working adult that was on that set yes i got lucky absolutely i mean absolutely and after the first day you're like 
we're good there. I can go worry about all these other fires that need to be put out. Right. It, it, it's, she was, she was a dream come true. But when you're writing this, do when part of it, that casting, you know, I'm sorry, you, you cut out, you cut out a little bit. Oh, no, um, when you're writing this though, are you thinking about that part that this could be a real challenge finding that uh, young actor for this role? You know, fortunately or unfortunately, no. I, when I, when I write something uh, and I'd have to ask Amy uh, what her viewpoint is when she's writing, cause she's my co-writer. She wrote this with, with me, but for me as a writer, I write the character and then look for the actor that can find it. Although I will admit I have written roles where I actually have an actor in mind that I've seen before or that I've worked with. So I, you know, a lot of times I will write with someone in, in, in mind. Now, Ivy George, who uh, uh, from Big Little Lies uh, with the Nicole Kidman uh, HBO thing. Yeah. She was going to play this role. And a credit to her parents, um, the brilliant actor, Martin George, who I knew from my uh, older acting studio and, uh, and, their, and her mom, Krista George. Those two people, so selfless. When her schedule did not allow her to do the movie, she recommended three other brilliant child actors. Wow. So I had that in my mind when we were writing too. Like, like, okay, yeah, I could see the, I, I wasn't writing the character for her personality, but I could see her playing the role. And then when Maddie came in and auditioned, you know, when you have three brilliant actors audition for something, the tiebreaker is the essence that the person brings in front of the camera. Every human being has their own essence. You don't need to be an actor for any of this. And, and Maddie had an essence that was like, yeah, because of her acting training, she can play evil. But she had an essence underneath that was like, you just want to put your, your arms around her and squeeze her and rescue her. You know, like you want to save her. Like she had that going on. She has a vulnerability about her, but, but she's also a badass. Yeah, and, and I didn't even know she's like an yeah. expert soccer player. That soccer scene in the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. is a, a complete coincidence. Like, I didn't even realize. I'm like, oh, and she happens to be this, like, badass soccer player now. That's kind of funny. But That's, am- that's amazing. But then how do you – but then you're also deciding, okay, you're going you're gonna to direct, you're going to write, you're going to put a kid at the center of the movie, and I'm, I'm going to act in it also. Why not? So, like, th- this has to – why are you stacking the deck so highly against yourself? Cause it just seems like something that could make it failure inevitable, even though it wasn't, I actually really enjoyed this movie, but I would never have the self-confidence to go in well, a project like that. So I, I'm an actor first and foremost, and the other mm-hmm. three are the producing, directing, writing are the means to the end. Yeah. Um, you know, and it was just one of those deals where, you know, the first, I don't know, 10, 15 years I was in LA, I realized I was never going to walk into the room to audition for the lead or the supporting role in like a Hollywood studio film because the system at that time, and maybe it still is, I haven't, I wouldn't know now, but the system at that time was set up where you're only going to walk into that room uh, if you're already famous or, you, you know, you, ha- you know, somebody famous or something. So the only way at that time that you could really break into Hollywood was make your own project. So we, formed a production company, started doing short films. And then we went on to uh, features because we realized like after the short films went through all the, the, you know, the festival circuit, you know, movie executives aren't really interested in shorts as much because it's not a lot of revenue in it. 
unless it's like winning an Academy Award or sure. Sundance or something. So then we turned one of those into a feature film and then we got lucky enough to get distribution on that one. And, and when I say lucky, I mean, because the first question any distributor asks is who's in it. Then I heard, well, you know, there's certain genres where they don't care as much if you're famous. So the next, we were lucky enough there. You know, we did like a web series that got picked up by that got distribution. We got a web series that got uh, picked up by Disney, the uh, blip TV from Disney. And then both of those distributors went defunct. But that was before we had gotten lucky enough to, you know, fast forward all the years it took to get financing for this. But all of those led, you know, it was just one progressive step through the years. So here you are, this actor trying to kind of you know, break into the castle the long way and you finally get the opportunity to do it, you know how you see the movie in your head. You know that you're an actor and you know how you're going to play the role and you already wrote it and the directing is mainly, you know, a lot of that heavy lifting is done in pre-production. Same with the producer. This is recording us right now. So we're just gonna talk right here. We don't, okay. Today's episode of the Following Films Podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. So earlier today, when I went into Bookman's, I was thinking about the conversation I was having earlier today. And I just wanted to check out a movie that maybe was a genre film, but had a little bit more on its mind. Something that was a horror film, maybe something that had a political or social commentary underneath it. And when I walked into Bookman's, I happened to come across the 4K edition of Candyman, uh, the one that Scream Factory put out earlier this year, and it's a phenomenal set. I'm really looking forward to watching it tonight. But today I'm joined by my son, Jacob, who had some questions about Candyman, the movie, when he was looking at uh, the Blu-ray cover, he had some questions. So let's kind of go through those right now. So Jacob, come here. Yes. Uh, what is your first question about this Candyman? Um, um, what? if you say your, his name five times? That's a, that's a good question, because on the bottom of the Blu-ray case, it says, we dare you to say his name five times. So if you look in a mirror in the movie and you say Candyman five times, Candyman will appear. He'll come there. And he'll kill. Oh, well, wow. Um, I, I didn't tell you that, but yeah, that, that's, that's what would happen. Because this is make-believe, it's not a real thing that happens. This is just a story, it's just pretend. Good, good, good. So Candyman shows up in the room and then lights out. So do you have any other questions about the uh, the Blu-ray case here that you're looking at? Um, why is there a bee right there? Okay, that's a good question. So the bee is there because Candyman, uh, well, what do you think? Well, if you had to, if you were gonna watch this movie, if you had to think, why would there be a bee there? What do you think is going on in this picture? I think a, um, a bee affected him. That's right, he, he was bitten by bees. That's right, yep. That, that's that's why there's a bee there, because the candy man was bitten by bees. And, and means, so, means, means he would kill the bees that did that? Well, no, not necessarily. But, so do you have any other questions about this on here? Oh, that's Candyman. That's just a reflection. So this is this eyeball right here. It represents there's a woman who's looking in the mirror and then she can see Candyman in the mirror also. So I think that's what that's trying to 
portray. So I have a question for you about this movie. Do you think this is a movie that a kid should watch? No. Is this a movie that you ever think you'll watch? When you're a grown-up, do you ever want to see Candyman? Yes. When you're a grown-up? Okay, cool. As long as it's not too horrifying. It's not that bad. It's a lot of fun. Mom loves this movie. I love this movie, so we're going to probably watch this later tonight. How, wait, but how do you know all this stuff? How do I know all this about it? Well, because I like movies a lot. That's why I have a movie podcast, so that I can talk about movies. And why do you actually know all about what's in this movie? Because I've seen it a bunch of times. Oh, um, the classic one, like part one? Yeah, well, there's actually, there's four Candyman movies. There's uh, three that star Tony Todd, who's that guy right there. He's actually, Tony Todd is a really well-respected genre actor. I like him a lot. In fact, we're connected on Twitter and we end up talking about music a lot. So really nice guy. He's not scary at all, the guy who plays Candyman in real life. And then there was a remake that was done, or I guess it's kind of a sequel to it that was done recently, came out last year that's really, really good, or a couple years now, I guess it's, it's been out for. So yeah, definitely worth checking out. But a new yeah. question. Why is it a Broadway deal? Well, that just makes it a little bit more horrifying. So, I think we need to get back to the interview. Why don't you uh, just go ahead and say thank you for listening to the show to the people. Thank you for listening to the show. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Enjoy the rest of the show. So, it's kind of by necessity. It's not like, hey, I'm going to go direct, write, produce, and act in a movie. No, it's more like, hey, I'm never going to be in a movie. If I don't write, direct, and produce this effing movie. You know what I mean? Fair enough. It's, okay. like, it's not it. like ambition. It's more like, oh, shit, this isn't ever going to happen sure. unless I do it. You know, it's like, it's not a choice. So, I, I don't know. Did that answer it? <laughs> that answered it beautifully. That, that, is, that is absolutely perfect. Um, but is that something that then the acting is what you would want to focus on? more so yeah. than the writing directing yeah producing. yeah i'm an actor and and i i do believe that i'm uh I, I think i've been a storyteller as long as i can remember sure so i, I mean i'm an actor storyteller however you want to say that and, and film is a director's medium so it kind of lends itself to that um so yeah i i, I hope that answers the question no no it does it's it actually answers it perfectly um this is you know, we were, before we were recording, we were talking about our kids and um, I'm actually, this is something that I'm pretty excited that I'm going to get to sit down and watch this with my 12 year old. Oh, um, nice. He, he's, this is one of those, this is one of those movies that I feel perfectly comfortable sharing. With you know him. how hard we fought for the PG 13 rating. I, I we, we took one thing out so that we could get PG 13. I wanted, I did not want to make a rated R movie and I didn't want to make a pure or like, I don't like excessive gore. I don't like violence unless it's uh, contributing to the story. You know what I mean? Sure. You know, I don't want to give away spoilers, but there's a particular sequence that I'm thinking of that you've already seen. Yep. Uh, but I, I wanted to progress the story through the action. I didn't want it to be, you know, you'll watch a movie and you'll see a dude's arm break in half in a fist fight. And you're like, and his bones sticking out. And you're like, why? What was People enjoy that. Some people do. but there are people that want that meaty story. Pardon the pun. <laughs> I mean, they want, they want the, the story with, with substance and they don't need to see, you know, someone's intestines getting dragged down the street, you know? 
No, and, and I'm with you. It depends on, I, I go back and forth on these things. Cause I don't, gore doesn't bother me. Um, that kind of stuff. I'm more of a prude when it comes to sex, oddly enough. That's something that the humanity in it really kind of bothers me. The but both of those should be rated R though. Yeah. Oh yeah, Whether for sure. For, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I saw the evil dead part two when I was about 12 years old. Um, and in my mind, that was something that kind of changed my perception of this because I realized pretty quickly that it was Looney Tunes. This was this was Bugs Bunny that I was watching. This wasn't, <laughs> they're not trying to tell a deeper, meaningful story. It's slapstick comedy told through the lens of horror. Mm-hmm. And so I, and I'm glad that at that time I hadn't seen Evil Dead Part One because I don't think I would have, you know, been as enthusiastic right. for it because that's a much harder <laughs> movie to watch. So yeah, the, the, the idea of gore and stuff, it, it, if it serves a purpose, I, it works for me. Yeah. Like th- that it, when you, and when you add it, I feel like it's kind of like special effects and these other things that if you lean too heavily on it, if you have the world blowing up in the opening of your film, the right. stakes have been raised too high. You're going to lose something, the thread along the way. And if you, I think if you have too much, too much gore, too much action, too much of those other things, yeah. you can lose the humanity in the way, or it's really difficult to keep it. intact. I actually really do like the idea of starting small. Um, I think distributors and people on the business side of things probably prefer you to have like a major thing right in the first three minutes of the movie. And, and I mean, there's probably merit to that, but as, as a filmmaker and as an audience member, I, I like the intimate small beginning and then going big whenever you've earned it. I think, I think what I'm trying to say is you need to earn your moments as a filmmaker. You got, you got to be scrappy and, and earn that moment. You can't just, ask an audience to buy in right off the bat. You have jumps in the movie right away. You know, there's a, there's actually something that got me in the the car sequence. It's just right after the opening when they're driving and there's this noise that happens. And it, it, you know, I had the kids were in bed. Everybody's done. I had the noise canceling headphones on, had it up a little bit too loud. And you, you had, you made me jump there for a second. And I was like that. And that doesn't happen very often. The opening scene in the car. Uh, yeah, when, when after after they have because it's after they have the meeting at the school they're driving. There's a loud, there's a noise that comes in very quickly and very loudly, <laughs> and I wasn't anticipating it because everything was so small up until that moment. And you had a cue that actually made me jump. Well, that's a pleasant surprise. I uh, I'll tell you, <laughs> man, you you get involved in these projects, and and sometimes you know you're so wrapped up in it you can't step back and see the forest for the trees. You know? Have you had a chance to watch it with an audience yet? Yeah, that was amazing. That was at the Dances with Films uh, Film Festival on June 17th. And uh, that was electric. And to see the movie in full picture and full sound and watch everybody's reactions, that was that was a thrill. Yeah, yeah, there's something that's the last couple of years. One thing I've definitely missed is seeing things in a theater with you can't replicate that at home. As good as our sound systems are now, yeah. as big as our TVs are, as clear as they are. There's something about the communal event of sitting down in a room and watching something together and experiencing that. Yeah. And while I won't have a chance to see this in a theater, I do love the fact that I'm going to get to watch this with my kid and share this with him because I don't get to do that with a lot of the stuff that I see. So thank you for doing that, man. I appreciate that. You're welcome. I, I, and I have heard that uh, from people in the past that you want like critics to watch it on a big screen with a, with an audience because uh, they're more, they're more likely to feel the vibe and the energy sweetening the pot. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if you think we won't get that opportunity, (laughs) (laughs) 
my my favorite films, you know, we were we were talking about Kramer versus Kramer, the Marathon Man, things yeah. that I, I never saw those projected. I never saw them in theater. I'm 46. They happen. I didn't get to see them at a repertoire house or anything like that. Right. So <clears throat> I saw them on VHS on small TVs with bad sound, and I still fell in love with these things. I think that good film can transcend a bad, you know, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 Exactly. It doesn't have to be the perfect scenario for it to work out. Now, you don't want to make it harder for the, anything that you put as a block between the uh, between the audience and enjoying the film. You don't want that to happen. Yeah. But it's absolutely doable. Is your twelve year old into uh, like would Kramer versus Kramer or something like that hold your twelve year old's interest? Because like my kids don't have the attention span that I did. I did, but Kramer versus Kramer probably not. That that specific yeah. one, I yeah. I don't know, but. Something like, weirdly enough, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, was one that, that, that That's, you know, a three-hour like movie. Like the finest movie ever made. I mean. A, a two middle-aged, aging, older men in prison. If on its surface, if I were to tell him to sit down and watch this movie and yeah. tell him what it was about, he'd be like, no. Mm-hmm. God, no. And we were I was going through a couple of different movies and put that one on. He was walking through the back and kind of just hung out while he was getting a drink and then came and sat on the couch and sat there for, you know, close to three hours watching the movie with me. That thing is not the highest rated movie on IMDb for nothing. I mean, it's pretty undeniable. It's so, so the, you, you have to, you have to have patience for that, I think. So maybe yeah. not the, those particular ones I'm looking forward to. I think stuff like killing of a Chinese bookie, like I'm looking to t- turning him on to Ben Gazzara, like those old, uh, some of those character actors from the seventies. And I think that that'll be the entryway. And then maybe when he's a little bit older, a teenager and start showing him some of the more dramatic stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about you? How, how are your, uh, are they starting to take your taste yet or they are? No, they're, they'll watch YouTube videos all day long. <laughs> Yeah. And put comments on them, or, or not even put comments. They don't put comments on them. They read the comments, and they read the yeah. comments. The, the comments are just as important as the video they're watching. It's fascinating. It. I mean, it, it's it's very bizarre because it's it, it's they're unfairly maligned as the shortest tension span generation because they will, you know, they watch incredibly short TikToks and things like that. Yeah. And that's one of the main things they might. Uh, my 12 year old takes in, but he'll also watch a four hour YouTube video that is going into the lore behind some video game and these kinds of things where they'll go really, really deep on things. So I think it's just, yeah, they, if, if I was able to have somebody break down the million reasons why the Goonies was the greatest film ever in 1985, when I was nine years old, I would have jumped all over that thing. So I can't fault them for it at all. Yeah, no, I mean, I, when they were like three years old, they were watching like someone else unwrapping their own toy. I, I don't get that one. <laughs> and yeah, and just, and then just it, it evolved into what it is now. Although mm-hmm. they do watch movies now. Um, but yeah, the Kramer versus Kramer thing and all that, yeah, that's going to be a few years. If, I don't know. Actually, my daughter just watched The Truman Show. She said that's, that's good probably one. her favorite movie. That's actually, wow. Okay. But she hasn't been exposed to a lot because when they're little kids, you go, oh, that's not appropriate. That's not appropriate. That's not appropriate. And then one day she's, she just turned 13 and I'm like, oh wait, I guess it is is appropriate. Well, so she hasn't seen much, but when I showed her the Truman show, which is a great movie, but it was like, she was sobbing and just, 
totally affected by it. And, and, and I was watching her while I was watching the movie. And I was like, wow, this, this is, this is amazing. Like the movie was being experienced for the first time by this one individual. Yeah. And, and she decided that that's her favorite movie of all time. And so, I don't, now I want to, I want to introduce her to a, a whole bunch now. Well, I got with the six-year-old, I got more experimental and thoughtful in what I was introducing him to. So I introduced him to Chaplin really early and Buster oh, Keaton. And yeah, we watched The Great things. Dictator. My daughter and I just yep. watched The Great Dictator a few weeks ago. God, well, that, that was one that, as, you know, and so I guess that would have been like 2016. I just, I showed my wife that one. She hadn't seen it before. And yeah, yeah that, I think a lot of us were going back and watching that one around that Can time. you imagine though, the, the, the entire world for the first time hearing Charlie Chaplin's voice? I know. I, I yeah. can't imagine what yeah. that must've been like. And so he has very unusual taste in film now though, because of that, it's, he, loves the Hindenburg with George C. Scott, like absolutely loves that movie. Um, really likes the Indiana Jones films, but the older one, I can't get him to watch anything that I'm into for the most part, but now he's into horror. So I can get him in on that a little bit. That's where I can, he, he'll, he'll follow that path. This can be a gateway movie for him. <laughs> that's what, that's what I was thinking. That's it. You no, know, that's one of those things that, yeah. you know, there's that, that kind of stuff that'll get him in and that he can have fun with it. But we made um, a movie for the whole family, unless the, the, I guess maybe what's the cutoff? Maybe anything younger than 10? I don't know. What's considered scary? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, I saw The Shining when I was, I think, around 10 or 11. Yeah. No, that's not appropriate. I wouldn't recommend it. I did too. Our our parents let us watch. I don't, my parents weren't even around. No, they weren't there. And I would just watch whatever on HBO or something. I remember Amityville 2, The Possession. My my sister and I watched it at 10 o'clock at night. And my mom and my stepdad were like, I don't know, out on a walk or something. We're gone. And my mom just the other day goes, oh, we, we, we would have never left you alone at 10 o'clock at night. That is bullshit. I'm like, uh, you know, I asked my sister, did, were we alone or not? She's like, yeah, we were alone. So I don't know where they were. <laughs> it was just a different time. I mean, I'm 46. Yeah. So those was that were raised in the seventies and eighties. It was a yeah. wholly different world, but I'm, I'm kind of glad that I, to some degree that I, I just can't be the one that introduces my son to those things. The wall of Blu-rays is there that he can start looking through and grabbing things <laughs> off there. I'll leave things kind of pulled out. So hopefully they'll grab his attention. I just don't want to be the one that shows him the Omen part three and sees it at 12. So I don't know if you've seen that one or not, but there's like specific moments in that that I shouldn't have been watching that at all. I have no business watching that at his age, but I, I know where I could go on about this nonsense for days. So, um, but thank you for making a film like this, man. This is, I had a lot of fun watching it and had a great time chatting with you about it. So uh, thank you very much. And best of luck with it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I hopefully I'll get to talk to you for the next one. Cause I'm hoping there's more coming down the pike. I hope so too. I've also got a slapstick Western comedy that I'm going to do too. Uh-huh. <laughs> man, it's been a long time since we had one of those that's nailed it. It's in airplane movies in the old West. <laughs> Love it, man. Perfect. Thank you all. Nice to meet you. All right, Chris. Take care. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you, Lisa. Talk soon. Okay. Bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. 
give me hope